Hello, and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our culture, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we're speaking to Tanya Lewis-Lee and Paula Eiselt, co-directors of the must-see documentary, Aftershock. Following the deaths of their partners due to preventable childbirth complications and medical negligence, two bereaved fathers galvanize activists, birth workers, and physicians to reckon with one of the most pressing yet unspoken American crises of our time, the U.S. maternal health crisis. Their work introduces us to a myriad of people, including a growing brotherhood of surviving Black fathers, along with the work of midwives and physicians on the ground fighting for institutional reform. Through their collective journeys, we find ourselves on the front lines of the growing birth justice movement that is demanding systemic change within our medical system and government. Aftershock premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, and I had the honor of moderating a conversation with Tanya Lewis-Lee and Paula Eiselt for the Macro Lodge's slate of programming. We had a great conversation there, and I wanted to keep it going, and I'm so honored that they are my next guests on Acting Up. Hello, ladies. Hi, Courtney. Thanks for having us. It's our pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So Aftershock is not for the faint of heart, but it's certainly for every heart because it affects every single person, no matter your gender, no matter your personal experience with childbirth. This is a story that really sheds a light on the crisis that we're in in the United States. And that is that our maternal mortality rate is through the roof, even compared to underdeveloped countries. Paula, talk to me about why this was the subject that you wanted to tackle right now. Yeah, thank you, Courtney. I, you know, was really drawn to the subject matter first because of my own experiences within the maternal health system. I'm a mom of four and with each of those pregnancy and births and also a fifth pregnancy that I, that I lost due to medical negligence, I'm familiar with the system and how women are not seen and not heard. And then when I started doing my own research at the end of 2017, I started seeing articles, exposés coming out from ProPublica and other publications about this U.S. maternal health crisis that we were in. And I was like, oh my God, like we're in crisis what I went through is not uncommon. And actually it profoundly affects black women with much, much higher stakes. So if I wanted to embark on telling the story, which I really, really did in my bones, I knew that black women had to be centered first and foremost to tell this story authentically. And that I wanted a partner grounded in the community to help me do that and, and, and shed light on the work that has been happening for decades and decades, way before those articles were written. And so Tanya, how did you come to this project? So back in 2007, long, long time ago now, um, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services had asked me to be a spokesperson for their infant mortality awareness raising program here in the U.S., and at the time, I did not know that infant mortality was an issue in the United States, but I had the opportunity to travel the country and learn a lot about the issue in different kinds of communities, specifically focusing, though, of course, on the disparity between the high rates of Black babies dying and white babies dying. And I found myself immersed in a world of women's health and often had the opportunity to speak to 
women about how we take care of ourselves for the sake of our children. And I love doing it. I love talking to groups of women, groups of black women about how we are managing and handling our health. Unfortunately though, most of the time, someone would raise their hand and talk about a woman, a sister, a friend, a cousin, somebody they knew who had passed away from childbirth complications. That it wasn't just the infants that were dying, but women were dying. And so the more I heard that, I did a film called Crisis in the Crib for the Department of Health and Human Services about infant mortality. and was really thinking about how can I tell a story about black women dying in childbirth? And like Paula, you know, I knew this issue was so big and profound that I wanted a partner to figure out how to wrap my arms around it and tell it really, really well. And so I was happy to find a creative partner in Paula to really make this film. So who found who? Like, who made the phone call? Like, do you want to do this thing? I love that question. It's almost like we bumped into each other, like almost actually literally. And I got to tell you, though, there's a little piece, a little another kernel in here is Don Porter, our executive producer. We love Don Porter here. And so Paula was as a fellow at Concordia Studios and Don had been brought in, you know, working with her a little bit, not as a co-director. Dawn is someone I've known for many years. And she was like, you should do that film. You should do it. Then we get a chance to work together. So everything kind of lined up, you know, for us all to work together. Oh, fantastic. So before we get into the doc, I do want to ask you guys about working with each other and working with each other on a project that where race is a critical component. I want to know from Paula, what, if anything, may have been daunting or challenging about tackling a subject that is about Black women as a white woman? And then Tanya, similar question. I mean, where, if anywhere, did the edges rub? Or did you find yourself maybe having to dig a little deeper or think a little harder about tackling issues that concern women and race? So Paula, you first. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think As I mentioned before, I I came into the issue from my own experience, but quickly and, 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 you know, know that 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 is only a part of what black women go through. I am missing a key lived experience that, that no matter how much I read, I will, I can never truly understand. So in Working with Tanya, I, you know, the pandemic with all of its horrificness and debilitatingness gave us a lot of time to talk because we were stuck at home. So we would spend hours on Zoom or on the phone and really had this space to talk and I had space to listen. And I think in a crazy way, without the pandemic, I know we would have found a way, but but for me, the benefit of just really being able to listen in that way over that period of time what was tremendously helpful to me as a white person to really understand that perspective that only Tanya can bring to the project? Well, you know, for me, I talk about race a lot and I am not afraid to talk about race with white people to tell them what I really think. And if you are going to tangle with me, you better be ready for it because it's it's not going to be soft stepping. I'm going to tell you straight to your face what I think. The other thing that we had going for us was that Shawnee Benton Gibson, one of our 
uh, subject collaborators is very straightforward. She'll tell you what you think. Brace for it, you know, in, in, in a loving way, though. Like she like she'll say, like, I'm talking to you like I talk to family. You know, I'm going to tell you like I tell family. And so I do think that certainly there were times when, you know, you you do have hard conversations. Right. I mean, you have to. But that's how we get better. I don't run from the hard conversation. I run right into the hard conversation. And I think part of what we did was have that struggle with that hard conversation at times, which gets down to the real truth and gets down to what it really is. And then we can really, you know, make a change and 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 make things better. So, you know, I, I think really being able to talk honestly with one another is the key. I just find it kind of interesting that you were having these kinds of conversation and, and, and collaborating in this way at a time where that work that even you were doing to pull off this documentary was being discussed, you know, in, in larger society. And so I wonder if this kind of collaboration and those kinds of honest conversations that you were just highlighting for us, is that new in this space? Like, do you, is there a tangible shift in you know, we're going there more often and more frequently, and it's not so uncomfortable anymore, or it's not so much of an anomaly anymore, or is it still just very new? No, for me, it's not new. I mean, I, I, I'm forced into this, right? I'm a Black woman who was a lawyer working at a law firm who's worked with corporations and had to deal with white people all the time. And so what happens for me is when I'm an independent person and I'm not in within a system, I have freedom. You know, I, I'm not worried about my boss coming down, telling me what you said is, you know, and, and look, I, I've been at this a while, so I know how to also temper myself a little bit, but having these difficult conversations for me is not new, but I think for some people, I often actually forget that most people don't talk about race the way I do. I actually forget that. And I'm, I'm often like, oh, right, I, you know, now we're in this and I've got to back up if I don't have a person like Paula who's open to having the conversation, right? But I think as a society, we're in a place where people are having more honest and real conversations, but then you're also seeing the pushback from that because people don't like the truth. <laughs> so the, the, then you start talking about the truth and people are like, no, I like the lie. Can we just go back to that? But we're going to have to deal, in my opinion. You know, Paula, what, what do you say about that? Do you feel it's new? I mean, so there's, as you said, the 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 personal and the in the industry part of it. And for for me personally, Tanya, as you know, I'm I, I love hard conversations, transparency, honesty. That's that's how I was raised. Social justice is something that I, I talk about, I acknowledge, I I these are conversations everyone should be having. And I found it for, for me, you know, working with you, Tanya, like during this time of like, what I hope will continue to be a reckoning on race in America. I, I felt like it was a privilege that, that I get to be working with someone like Tanya during this time and, 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 and listening to her. Cause as you said, Courtney, like, you know, that's, that's not your job to, to educate me. And I just happened to be working on this topic during this time. So I felt in it, and it sounds weird. Like I just felt lucky or privileged to be in that space and be able to learn from that during this time. And I'm still processing that and, and continuing, continuing to learn, but, you know, 
I, I love these conversations. Like, this is what it is to be human. Like I, like this, like we should, we should talk about this all the time. If, if people want to, of course, and, and I, you know, talk about it with my community and, and, and I try to take that upon myself to pass this forth and, you know, and, and making this film, it's a way I can share that. So I just, I, I hope I'm, I'm doing the best I can and, and, and will continue to, to listen and learn. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And yes, this film that you both have delivered to us tackles another very tough subject. I mean, it's painful, it's confusing, it's infuriating for sure to realize that, you know, the United States with all of its developments and all of its technology and all of these methods for people to communicate and share their stories, women as a whole are being astronomically let down when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to being able to do the most basic thing, you know, bring life into the world, we are dying and they are preventable deaths. You guys tackle a ton of elements that contribute to this horrific crisis in your documentary. And I feel like all, you know, all of them could have been their own project. You talk about midwifery, you talk about the origins of even like, how did we get to OBGYNs and nurses versus midwives? And how did we, you know, how did this um, industry of, I guess, what prenatal healthcare, like become dominated by men and predominantly white men. We talk about access to birthing centers and alternative methods. We talk about C-sections and how prevalent they are, which a lot of people tend to forget is a major, major surgery. You talk about doctors and implicit bias and different standards of care for black women and white women. You went down so many lanes and there were so many lanes to go down. And I wanted to know first and foremost, why did you decide to focus on the two men who had lost their partners in childbirth? Like why this story about women at least at first, through the eyes of these two men? Well, honestly, it's because they're the ones that are left behind. They're the ones who have to raise their children and move forward. And we really wanted to sort of capture and document what's it like. I mean, we met both of these men very early in their grieving process. What's it like for a man who's lost his partner to suddenly have to raise a child on his own? You know, how does he get support? Where does he go? How does the community support him? How does his family support him? And then what does he do? And which is so, we're so fortunate to meet such extraordinary men who are raising their children in amazing ways and contributing to their communities so that this doesn't happen to other women. So we really wanted to tell it and humanize and really humanize these women. I think these men, because we're telling it through them, we do get a sense of who these women are and the women then do become humanized as well. Yes. Now I'll just add to that in the early days of making this when, you know, we were raising money, you know, we would get questions like, so like why the men? And it was always such a surprising question. So it was like, who do you think is left behind? Like, of course, we're going to focus on the fathers unless you're assuming that there aren't fathers. So it, it said a lot about that question that, that we got from a lot of people and made us realize, you know, how important it really is to show these fathers that people are, are just so surprised that they're there. So as, as Tanya said, we want to really humanize and, and lift up 
these men. And also people often think of black men as being absentee fathers. They're not around. They don't do, I mean, like, obviously we know the image of black men in our society. And it's so refreshing to be able to show who black men really are. They're, they are wonderful men. I, are they exceptional? I don't know, because I know a lot of really great black men. So it's just really wonderful to be able to showcase who we really are. I thought it was interesting too. You know, you'll, you often hear things like, you know, if, if birth control was up to the men, then it would be a totally different story in that regard. Even this issue, I think that for a long time, this was a women's issue. This was considered a women's issue. Get a good doctor, speak up for yourself, know your body. But like this had very little to do with the men. And I actually think that focusing on the men and their vantage point instantly also makes this a man's problem. If you keep killing all of the moms, guess who's going to become the primary caregivers? And in a way that might snap certain industries and people into realizing, again, this applies to them. This doesn't, this is not just a women's issue. So I thought that that was really important. And the other thing I thought was so powerful was the fact that regardless of race, regardless of location, I think that motherhood does immediately connect women. Like there's a certain something that you just connect to when you meet another woman who's a mother and seeing Shawnee's mother, gosh, just instantly connecting to her, just thinking about what if this happened to my daughter, I know. my grown daughter, but my God, that humanized everything for me in a moment and her passion for her daughter and, and this fight that she has continued to fight in her memory and in her honor, I thought was so moving. And I wondered what about her, you know, really stood out for you. Shawnee, gosh, how, how do you say, how do you talk about Shawnee? She, she is an amazing woman like you say, with so much heart, so much spirit, so smart, so passionate. And I often say, like, I learned from her. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Me too. <laughs> There's a line in the film when she says, when she says, like, now I wish my daughter would call me 30 times a day. Like, I, I get that, you know? And, and yet, you know, she, she's so strong, but yet she keeps moving in her daughter's name. You know? And she's like, we will never forget you. We will continue to say your name. And I just, I look at Shawnee and what I take away from her is her strength, her grace, watching her with but Amari's here raising her grandchildren. And she, the way she navigates that um, is just beautiful. And I, I've learned a lot. I think about how I'll deal with my children's partners, <laughs> you know, with grace. She's just a, a beautiful, passionate woman. And I think we will see a lot of Shawnee in the future. I think so too. Paula, how about you? Shawnee is our guiding light. Like she's the North star of, of the film. Like every, this, the, there was the topic of maternal mortality, but that wasn't a film. Shawnee, meeting Shawnee is what made this a film, a story, and, and everything came from her. I mean, the first time I spoke with Shawnee on the phone, I mean, when Shawnee speaks, her words are poetry. She's a poet in her writing and her speech and in regular conversation, like she'll send a text and it's like the text is its own poem. Like it, like the way she, she just lives such a spiritual, artful, um, empowering life and just being in, in her presence and her family's presence and her community's presence. I mean, the first thing I, I was privileged to be at was that aftershock event that's at the beginning of the film. 
And I remember standing there surrounded in this glow of warmth of community and, and, and it was transcended. I, I, I went home, I told everyone, I just filmed the best thing I've ever filmed. I've never felt like that at a shoot. The, the community there, the, the warmth, I just wanted to stay there. And, and I just felt like such a privilege that I was able to be in that space. And, and so I, I think of Shawnee, I think of warmth and light. Wow. The other thing that this film really illuminated so beautifully was the alternative. Like there are other ways to bring a baby into this world. And a lot of people have access to those ways and a lot of people don't. Gosh, like I remember when I was pregnant, the feeling that I would get when I would ask my doctor about any sort of even alternative something that I had read about was almost like, oh, please don't even like, don't even think about that. Like, like it would, like, it's so irresponsible of you as a mother to not do what has been laid out as the status quo. Like, who do you think you are thinking outside of the box about, you know, you're not an OBGYN, you're not an expert. And realizing just how not crazy it is to consider having a baby at home or having a baby outside of a hospital or at a birthing center, like that's not crazy. And I remember that my OBGYN said, you know, I, I had taken some class and they were talking about the Pitocin and like the other drugs that you can get, the epidural, all of these things. And I was saying, you know, like, what would it really be like to have a child without an epidural? You know, people did it all the time. People did it throughout history. And he said, well, you can get your leg amputated and bite on a leather belt. But would you, why would you do that? I mean, like made me feel so stupid. Like what a dumb. But that's such a crazy analogy because you're a perfectly healthy person. Your body is doing what it's supposed to do. If you have to get your leg amputated, it's because there's something wrong with your leg. There's nothing wrong with a pregnant woman. She is in often very good health. And yet you want to give me medication yet. You want to come in and do something to me like that. That that's one of the things that I certainly have, have learned doing this film. It's like, if you allow a woman to let her body do what it needs to do with the right kind of support, you don't necessarily need all of that other stuff, you know, give me a second to let my body do what it needs to do, you know, and it's not crazy, Courtney. Yeah, it's not crazy, but just that framing. I mean, that was the start that was very early, but that's almost like set the tone for how this was going to go and stop Googling stuff, stop reading things, just lay down and drink your water and come in here in nine months and let me cut this thing out of you. Exactly. Yeah. And when you question them, so same thing with the epidural is like, oh, don't be a hero. No one's asking you to be a hero. It's like so weaponizing. And when you do start to question, like with my last pregnancy, I got a call from the doctor's office that they met about me in their weekly meeting. And they feel like I have a profound mistrust of the system. And how can we move forward if you, if you don't trust us? Like the, the way they flip that around is just so manipulative and, and mind boggling. And it makes you feel crazy. And it makes you feel like you're doing something that's not good for you or your baby. So they constantly use that against you. And it's, it's how they're taught. And what Helena Grant in our film says though, is that women have to take that back. I gave all my power away to my doctors because I didn't know. I, I, I assume they knew best 
but we have to now, we know we, we do have resources to learn and know, and we have to take the power back and not just give it over to doctors. You know, uh, we have to find the right situation for ourselves, do, do the work and find what is the best place for me to birth? Who is my best doctor? If this doctor makes me feel kind of not right, even though they're supposed to be the best doctor out here, maybe I should go and look and find another doctor. Like that's, that's what I learned from this, making this film. Like as a consumer out there looking where to birth, I needed, I wish I could go back and do it again, but it, you know, I can't, but for my daughter, we're, you know, maybe I can help her really find the best birthing situation for her to be in power. So I have to let you ladies go. I could talk to you about this forever. You know how much I love this project, but for my final question, I want to ask each of you, well, Paula, what was the most shocking fact, most shocking element that you uncovered in making this project? Like what just smacked you in the face? Yeah, there's, there's, there's three. I know you asked for one. I'll zip through it. One is this VBAC calculator that is a computerized algorithm where you put in someone's BMI, their age, other things. And, and there's also a menu for race. And just by virtue of choosing African-American, the number, the rate of their success will go down, which just on virtue of nothing. There's, there's no, there's no, just nothing like nothingness. So that, that prevents a lot of physicians for wanting to give black women a chance to have a vaginal birth after a C-section. I thought that was crazy. I think the fact that the term deliver comes from deliver us from evil. Cause it, cause if you think of it, it doesn't make any sense. Like we don't deliver ourselves. Like that's not even English. Like, I don't even know what that means. You birth, you don't deliver yeah. that, that I'm like haunted by. And then just like, the fact that we have so few midwives when I really saw the graph of how many midwives practice in other Western countries and then our little teeny little bar of nothing in this country, I, I just didn't realize it was that prominent. So that really shocked me. Yeah, those all were really shocking things. Tanya, what was the either most shocking thing you uncovered or the thing that was shocking to everyone else that you already knew? You know, I would say probably has to do with the midwives. First of all, I was really surprised that George Washington paid his midwife. I didn't, I didn't know that. That was news to me. And I would say just, I mean, and it's disheartening and painful, but the fact that midwives had been vilified, you know, that Black midwives had been vilified, this campaign against them that continues to this day. If you say midwife, people are like, ugh. Those dirty, nasty midwives, you wouldn't want a midwife. Like that still today, that was a that was a strategic campaign launched against black women to get everybody to go to hospitals. And it still persists today in this country. Devastating. Absolutely. Ladies, thank you so much for your candor, your time, and really thank you for this truly important work. I'm so grateful to be able to amplify it. And I hope that people receive it because it is urgent and it is important. And it is beautifully done. Thank you so much, Courtney. It's always great talking to you. Great conversation. Thank you so much. You all take care. Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, comments, and suggestions to podcasts at thegrio.com. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio, an executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell.
For more with me and acting up, check us out on Instagram at actingup.pod.